the one thing that I will say is that when I finally um, went for therapy many, 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 many years later, I remember my therapist saying, I don't even know how you are alive right now. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? And he said, the number of traumas that you have had in your life in general, people cannot handle that. And they would take their lives. And I've had two therapists say that to me. And I realized that somewhere in me and not just born in me, but I think just cultivating what I've seen in my family um, of how my mother survived certain things in her life. Um, my father was legally blind and how he survived things in his life. And so watching that and then, you know, tying that to my faith and my friends and my journal and really creating a safety net for myself, that that really helped me survive and end up to be who I am. Everyone is a stranger until you know their story. The Power of Good Intentions is a show about people, their stories, challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. This show is here to remind you that there is always a path forward and that good things happen to people who have a good heart. I am Aliou Sidibe, and I am your host. Hey, it's Aliou, and I just want to say Thank you so much to all of you listening because we just crossed 1,000 downloads uh, last week and this is a major milestone for me and I'm very, very excited and happy that to see that you guys are loving the stories. One uh, big announcement that I want to make is that I'm going to put, I'm going to start a YouTube channel by the end of this month or early April where I will be putting videos that I'm making for every single episode that basically gives you a visual representation of the episode. And one other thing is I would love to hear from you. I already do via the comments and DMs on Instagram, but I now have an option for you guys to call in and share a few thoughts on episode, anything that you want to share, anything positive that happened in your life, as well as questions that you may have. You can ask your question by going to speakpipe.com slash t-p-o-g-i as in the power of good intention and that's speakpipe s-p-e-a-k p-i-p-e dot com slash t-p-o-g-i or you can also email me at the power of good intentions at gmail.com thank you again thank you for listening Nothing can dim the light which shines from within. Those were the words of Maya Angelou. This month is a time to reflect on the incredible women in our world and all they've done to further women's rights and equality. Dennis Patrick is one of those women who continuously teach, lead and inspire us to make things right by doing the right things. Her life is a reflection of a choice that we always have to face in our culture, choosing between fear and hope for the future. Despite facing the challenges of racism, sexual assault, and losing her mother at a young age, she always chose hope over fear. She understood that challenges are not put on our path to destroy us, but rather 
to let us test the strength of her wings by making us rise above. Her story serves as a reminder that diamonds are made under pressure and that a tree must lose its leaves to regain life. Denise had every single reason to give up, but she chose to persevere and there is so much that we can learn from her story. I got the chance to connect with her in early February, right after a conference that she hosted in late January for her company. Today, we get the chance to dive into her life story and understand some of the principles that helped her along her path. Hi, Professor yeah. uh, Patrick. Thank you very much for being with me today. Show. Oh, thank you so much, Aliou, for asking me to, to speak with you and speak with your audience. I really appreciate it. Of course. You know, one thing I want to do a bit differently today is that I know that you just had a conference last week. And when I was talking to <laughs> someone who attended the conference, they mentioned that she was brought to tears by one of the speakers. So that's just how powerful it was. So like, can you tell us a bit about mm -hmm. that conference, what it was about and well, yeah, just tell us more about it. Okay, so um, the conference that happened last week uh, was the Leadership Experience. And the Leadership Experience is the second uh, large scale event that my company, D. Patrick Consulting has sponsored. Um, it was a conference that was a full day event. We um, had a keynote from Dorothy Turan, um, who is an executive producer for The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Um, she was amazing. It touched me in many ways, honestly. Um, we also talked about um, leadership in the following categories. Uh, we looked at globalization um, and how we can lead and be globally connected, and at least how we understand that. Uh, we looked at uh, Clifton strengths um, and how we can tap into our strengths and also identify them um, as individuals and as people who practice leadership. Um, I also um, had a little bit of a fireside chat with one of my colleagues um, where, where I was on the other end, usually I'm the moderator. Right? <laughs> so this time I was on the, on the must ask questions side um, of leadership and talking about the four um, C's, uh, which are in general, critical thinking, creativity, communication, and I'm missing another one. Oh, and collaboration, right? Um, and then uh, we got to talk about imposter syndrome. And I think that's where, you know, it pulled everything together. So the leadership experience, we, we always do something that's a little bit different, um, but the goal is really to make sure that people understand what it is to practice leadership and also what it is to experience it. Hence the title, the leadership experience, right? It's ongoing. It doesn't ever stop. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I'm glad that you bring up the topic of imposter syndrome because I have a question on that later on. Okay. But. I, I want the audience to like know more about you. So if you could please take us back to, you know, your childhood, the environment in which you grew up and what were some of the early beliefs that you had in life? Wow. Okay. So I grew up in New York city. Um, I grew up in upper Manhattan. So it's, it's as far up as you could go. It's the, the Northern tip of Manhattan called Inwood. And um, Inwood for me at that time was, that was my world, right? <laughs> um, it, was, it was part of my fun world because um, in our building um, where I grew up, I was, I'm an only child, right? Um, and so my parents and I lived in a co-op 
in Inwood and our playground was actually part of the property in that building, right? So I really didn't have to go out anywhere if I didn't want to, right? Um, but we did. Um, my childhood was filled with my mother being an artist and my father was, at the time, he was a, profess a professor, but he was also a director for a drug and rehabilitation um, center. Um, and um, one of the older ones, actually, in New York City. And so I, I do remember growing up with kind of, I always talk about my dad and his systems thinking side <laughs> and my mother and her creative side. And so um, as I grew up, I remember my father getting my mother an art studio in the neighborhood, <laughs> right? Which was a block away from where I went to school in the neighborhood, <laughs> right? Um, I went to um, a Lutheran school um, called St. Matthew Lutheran School. And it is actually the oldest Lutheran school in the United States. It's actually the oldest Lutheran congregation, I should say, right? That wow. existed in the United States. Mm -hmm. And growing up there, I learned a lot about community. I learned very much about how we take care of each other. So um, the crossing guards would always be the eighth graders who would watch over the, those of us who were younger, right? Trying to cross the street. Um, we always partnered up in school where some of the older kids would read to the younger kids. And we always learned that you always take care of each other. I'm still friends with many of my elementary school friends wow. from then today. Yes. So we're talking a long time, <laughs> right? We're talking, we're talking a few decades, right? Worth of friendship. Um, I think the thing that was, um, central, I, I don't think I know this was, was our faith um, and our practice of religion. And I say that in two different ways for a reason. Um, our practice of religion is my, my father and my mother decided, you know, Lutheran, we're going to go because of the most, I think the academic side of it, right? How, how we learn, how we question, right? And how we look at the word, how we look at the Bible. The faith side of it, or spirituality, I separate that out because that doesn't necessarily have to have a particular religion to it. Um, so I think for me, I had both um, in my home. So my mother was the Sunday school teacher. You know, my father would occasionally be in there preaching. You know, as a lay minister, um, and that was my world. I was best friends with uh, our pastor's daughter, <laughs> right? So I was. That was just my world. That's that's what it was, and I can remember it being pretty awesome until, <laughs> right? There's, 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 there's always an until. And the until was when I moved, right? When we moved out of New York. Um, and then I think, you know, in my mind, that's how things started to go a little south <laughs> for me, right? So, okay. So like now, so far, it's like, it seems like, yeah, you were in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a pretty loving community. Your mom was mm -hmm. an artist and mm -hmm. your dad was uh, working with uh, re rehabilitating people, right? Correct. Yes, correct, like correct. Having like the system thinking side. So mm -hmm. then what happened next? Did you, where did you move? So we, we left New York, um, much to my sorrow. I still get a little, uh, <laughs> right. When I think about that. Um, and, and I, I think I'll, I want to explain to my, my school and my church community, we were very, very tight knit, right? So as small as that school was, or, you know, maybe in my mind, as big as it was, maybe 200, 250 people, of church and you know students and teachers who all looked after each other we picked up and i remember my father saying one day okay we're moving to king of prussia pennsylvania right so 
So King of Prussia, um, some people will go, oh, I know where that is. There's a mall, <laughs> right? Yeah, I actually have been to the mall. <laughs> I, okay. So if you've been to the mall, you have not been far away from where I lived. Oh, <laughs> All right. Okay. So I lived about probably a mile, maybe a mile and a half walk, right? Away from where the mall is today, right? Mm -hmm. um, the house is still standing. The school is still there. And I ended up going from this very, very tiny, close-knit community to a very large, expansive community, which is still small, right? In, in Pennsylvania terms, right? Um, what was the reason why uh, you your father decided for you guys to move? You know, he found a new job there. He found two new opportunities there. I don't know why. Um, you know, at that time, we didn't ask our parents, why are you moving, <laughs> right? Or, you know, why are you leaving? You just went, right? There, there was yeah. no questioning, <laughs> right? Um, so I just know we, we were just going. And my father found a new opportunity to do more drug and rehabilitation, drug and alcohol rehabilitation um, in a community in Norristown, Pennsylvania, uh, which if anybody has seen the um, Bill Cosby um, uh, court proceedings, my father's office was actually across the street from that court, <laughs> right? <Wow. laughs> um, yeah, so we we left there, and then he found a teaching opportunity at Lincoln University. So we left for him to go and to teach and to take on this other opportunity with Eagleville. I think it was Eagleville Eagleville Rehabilitation Center, hmm. um, and there we were. So I was. 12 or 13 uh, when we left, I was not happy. <laughs> um, I had one more year to go right at, at St. Matthew and I would have been, you know, the lifetime student <laughs> right there. <laughs> um, my mother was not happy, uh, but we went, <laughs> right? So, so that's what we did. And we went and I had a whole different experience, which I'm actually in hindsight, very glad for. <laughs> I guess it was very challenging for you and your mom uh, mm -hmm. to go there, but like you still understood that you, your dad had had a better opportunity. But like, what yeah. were some of the challenges as a twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old moving mm -hmm. to that new place, and then like what happened next in your life living in that new place? Was it yeah, like I, hard to like integrate that new community that you were part of? Oh, you know, I think from for me, I just as a young person going someplace new. It's, I don't know who these people are. Nobody looked like me, right? Um, nobody, right? So, so and I think in a class of 500, there were maybe 11 of us who looked like me, right? So wow. that was one. Um, and that probably would, wasn't the worst part for me because um, if anybody understands the Lutheran church, it tends to be Swedish or German Lutheran, right? So I kind of grew up where people didn't look like me anyway, right? Yeah. But that that wasn't the issue. I think the issue at that time for me was people thought very differently and I got made fun of because I was from New York. So, so you know, it wasn't I wasn't a Lutheran school anymore or were you still in a Lutheran school in Pennsylvania? No, I went to a public school. That was okay. I was like, what is a public school? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know, when, when I thought of public school, I always thought of the public school here, you know, here in New York, which at yeah. that time, they were really going through some transition. I'll, I'll say it that way, mm. um, which is one of the reasons why my parents were like, you're not going 
to public school at all. You're going to stay in private school. Well, we couldn't find a Lutheran school in Pennsylvania. My parents didn't want me to go to a Catholic school in Pennsylvania. So they said, okay, we're going to go for the, for the public school. Mm. And thankfully, the one that I attended happened to be one of the top ones in the state. Right. So I learned a lot about the different kinds of activities that they have. But the challenge for me was, I think, first being confronted with people who didn't like people who look like me. <laughs> right. Oh. Um, the first I'm trying to think the first incident I had, I think it was a health class. And I remember sitting in the front of the room. And two guys behind me were kind of joking around, you know, as guys do in, you know, middle school or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And I heard one say, oh, you don't have a pencil? Go ask the N-word, right? Oh. At the front of the room, right, for a pencil. And I, and I remember sitting there thinking, okay, I, I don't know who he's talking about because yeah. that, that can't be me. So I'm, I'm looking around the room, like, who is he talking about? And he says, no, we're talking about you. Oh, wow. And yeah. And I remember going home and talking with my parents about it. I told the teacher about it. The teacher went to the principal about it. The principal called the students in. They got, you know, suspended for a period of time. And I remember that my parents kind of sat down with me and they said, listen, you know, keep being you. Um, and if anything happens, you know, we've got your back and you just let us know. And so that maybe was the first time of three, three incidents that we'd had um, living there. We didn't have many, but they were impactful enough in my mind where I thought, I this is strange, <laughs> right? Yeah. I didn't hate it at that yeah. time, but I just thought, man, that's really strange to, to be like that. I didn't understand that. And what were those two other incidents that you mentioned? The other two, um, I had a fight with, <laughs> this is funny, I had a fight with someone, actually, um, and it was, I played basketball, mm -hmm. and on our basketball team, you know, we, sports is very different, right? We, we don't care what color you are, we just, it's about the game, right? Yeah. And so um, the sports incident that I had was going to another school, a rival school, which was Norristown. And Norristown was predominantly African-American and Upper Marion is predominantly not <laughs> right African-American. Yeah. And so I remember going and there were two of us who were black on our basketball team, two or three. And we mm -hmm. go to Norristown and the black students gave me a hard time because I was playing for Upper Marion. So they called me everything but wow. a child of God, right? Like, oh, yeah. you're a sellout. How could you do that? Oh, you think yeah. you're better than we are? All that stuff, right? So I thought, okay, I can't win with the white kids. I can't win with the black kids, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, but that taught me something. I was learning, right, in that process. And I think the third incident that was most impactful was when somebody actually wrote the N-word and burned the KKK into our front lawn. What? Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Like um, your house? like Yes, they were on our front lawn at night. Um, and you have to understand that at that time, you know, King of Prussia and most towns like that are very dark at night, right? Streetlights, 
rarely exist and they don't exist usually on the tertiary streets, right? Yeah. So in the dark of night, I don't know, well, we think we know who it was. There were probably students and it might've been the one of the students who called me something, right? Yeah. Um, came and burned this into our lawn. And my mother saw the fire on the front of our lawn and she went out chasing them. And my father was yelling after her like, no, you know, you can't go run after them. It's too too dark outside. Yeah. And I'm running outside like, mom, where are you going? <laughs> right. Wow. Um, but, you know, she came back in. We called the police. The neighborhood was so apologetic. Um, the police chief came and, you know, the whole neighborhood, the township, they said, can we please replace your lawn? Because we, we, that's not us, right? Our church came, right? We had a whole church family. Yeah. And my father said, no, leave it and, and let it grow out. Because that will be a reminder for the entire community of somebody who is in this community that thinks that way. Yeah. Uh, and he did. He let it grow out. That's, <laughs> you know. I'm wondering, so like during all these uh, times, like were you sometime going back to New York where you were kind of finding your people, like your buddies and things like that? Or like, was it just, no, you straight up being in Pennsylvania and living in that type of environment, like all the time, all the time. And like, did you even have like friends who would like come home? Like, mm -hmm. I guess uh, were there at least like a few people you could like get yeah. close to at school that were like kind oh. of part of your community? Yeah, I think, you know, where I found initially where we found our community was a church, right? That's initially where we found it. We initially found it there. Um, there were probably 15 um, people from my class who ended up in my confirmation class, right? So while I wasn't, you know, best, best friends with them, I was friendly, right? Because, you know, this is high school, right? Um, I, I did get to go to, you know, certain parties. And, you know, I did have, you know, a, a close group of friends where we would go to the mall because that's what you do, right, in the suburbs, <laughs> right? You, you go to the mall and we didn't have a mall. It was the shopping center at the time. It wasn't the big, huge mall that you see now. And yeah. so we would... You know, we would walk there and we would hang out and we'd go in stores. Um, I would go over to friends' houses. They would come to mine. We would go to the park. Valley Forge Park wasn't too far away. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we started driving, I started driving at 16. Um, so, you know, that was great because that's freedom, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I think even before then, because my mother was still the artist, we would come up to New York every once in a while just so that I could okay. see my best friend, my best friend. I still have letters and cards. She was writing me, how are you? We talk on the phone. Um, so I, I think I had enough of a support system. It was just, I think in hindsight, learning to navigate. And I think that's what I learned is how you navigate. Right. right. So and, and it seems like you were navigating those type of time with like, thanks to like your parents, as well as uh, your friends that you had. And one thing I'm wondering, so you mentioned that your, your mother passed away, unfortunately, when you were 15. So like, yes. first you were having the support of both of your parents and now mm -hmm. you only had your dad. And, yes. you know, how was that in your life? You know, like all of this mm. is going on, like racism and all that. And one big part of your support system is now gone. Mm. So like, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I, I probably didn't deal with it very well, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I, I think when we're going through something like that, you think you're doing okay because you might be doing the day-to-day. -day. So I would be doing the day-to-day -day of going to school or going to you know volleyball or 
basketball practice or track, right? And I, I think I whittled those down until I finally just said, I'll work. Um, and I ended up working at um, our administration building, uh, which later caused problems, <laughs> right? Um, for, personally for me. Um, but then, you know, I'm doing my day-to-day of schoolwork. My schoolwork started slipping. And I think there was a point where, you know, even my dad was trying to deal with his own grief and men deal with it very differently than women do, right? To be honest. And, and so I think my father, you know, found another partner, which at the time I wasn't ready for it and I wasn't receptive to it. And again, this is this at that time. And I guess when I say that time, I'm thinking of people like my father's age, right? And that age group, um, if I'm going to have a new partner, I'm going to have a new partner. We're not talking about it in the family. We're not right. This is this is who it is, right? Yeah. Um, and that partner came with two sons, and I do remember feeling like I don't want to be in this. Um, I I don't like it. I'm, I'm trying to like it. I'm I'm trying to get used to this, but my mother has passed, and then there's this new person that's in my dad's life who's trying to be in my life, and. I don't understand these two boys. And I remember saying, I just don't want to live anymore. Um, I did not attempt um, to do anything, but I did think about it. And because my father was a counselor, um, my father said, if you keep thinking this way, we're going to put you in therapy. And that was enough to kind of shock me into, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything to rock the boat. Um, So what I started doing was actually driving up to New York more and more often and in the summers, I would stay with my aunt, uh, my father's sister. And that's where I got introduced to politics because she worked for the Board of Elections. And that's where I learned, you know, a whole different way of thinking um, from her. So I think the female support that I was missing, I got in her. And I also got it in another aunt um, on my mother's side of the family. Um, so I think between those two women, I got, I think, what I needed as well as what I wanted, um, even though I was still going through um, some trauma. So it seems like uh, thanks to those two people in your life and also like your car was kind of like a gateway to freedom going to New York and all that. But still it wasn't actually also over because like you had to like face another huge trauma with sexual assault. So like how was even, you know, dealing with that with like the passing of your mom Mm -hmm. and, you know, also uh, your dad having like a new partner moving the house and then this happening on top of it it's like you know it's like yeah it's easy to just give up at that point it's like yeah like how yeah no that's a good question it's it's interesting because i i never gave up um and i think i still have that fire in me i never i don't remember i'll say it that way i don't remember getting to a point where i just said okay life is just over Um, My best friend at that time of the assault, which I will explain in a second, my best friend became my journal. And so I I still have probably 15 journals from my life where I could pour out of what was in my head and how I was feeling into the journal. And that probably saved me. I think that um, my church and my faith and reading more and more and more, you know, scripture and trying to identify people in scripture who may have gone through trauma and how they got through that, that actually helped me. Um, the sexual assault that I experienced was actually from somebody who worked at the school. 
and he was a deputy superintendent. So I'll, I'll leave name alone. Um, but the, the person was pretty high up in administration. And I can remember the first assault that I experienced from him. Um, I remember going to his secretary, who was my pastor's wife, <laughs> and telling her, and her response was, well, you know, he's, don't, don't take that too seriously. You know, he's, that's just, he's really friendly like that. And I thought, okay, <laughs> right? And then I remember going home and telling my father about what was going on. And my father went into a rage, understandably so, but we didn't pursue it. And so I think for many years for me, I harbored some anger until my dad and I could talk about it because I thought you work across the street from a court. Why, you know, why are you not going over there and saying something and doing something? And I think one of the things that he and I did discuss is, you know, if we do that, they're gonna rake you over the coals, right? You're a young black female and here is this person who is not black, um, who is an administrator, um, they're gonna probably tear you apart. And I don't think he wanted that for me. Um, now, the way that I am now, I'd be like, no, go for it, <laughs> you know, fight for it. Um, but I, I learned a lot in that. And I also learned how to try to cope. And the one thing that I will say is that when I finally um, went for therapy many, 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 many years later, I remember my therapist saying, I don't even know how you are alive right now. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? And he said, the number of traumas that you have had in your life in general, people cannot handle that. And they would take their lives. And I've had two therapists say that to me. And I realized that somewhere in me and not just born in me, but I think just cultivating what I've seen in my family um, of how my mother survived certain things in her life. Um, my father was legally blind and how he survived things in his life. And so watching that and then, you know, tying that to my faith and my friends and my journal and really creating a safety net for myself, that that really helped me survive and end up to be who I am today. <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. So <laughs> like I'm still trying to find the words, but. Mm -hmm. So basically what I'm getting is you used your journal as kind of like a way to like take everything that was going on in your head and, you know, put it down on paper. So like you kind of like depersonalized kind of everything in that way. Yes. And also you had the key people around you that you were keeping close to you to kind mm -hmm. of like stay sane in that time. And, you know... Thankfully, so then you moved on to like better things in your life. And I, I want to understand, you know, like mm -hmm. what were like some of uh, that was in all of this happened in high school, right? Yes. So then yes. what was kind of like your North Star from that point on? Is that like yeah. your mom passed away, like this happened, like, and obviously we're going to get to that point, but like you are like bigger than life now. It's like you, <laughs> <laughs> you are the point in your life where like, you know, you have your own company, like, great achievement and all that but like 
you know, it's like if we take your story and like there is a thing called stories have shape where your life yeah. is starting this way, like until like 12 years old, 13, everything is good, you know, going mm -hmm. to the church and all that. And right. then bam, everything mm -hmm. starts going down. Everything literally starts going down. Yeah. But then like you still found a way mm -hmm. to pick that you know that where your life was like pick that story and like make it go up like make it go yeah. up and every year it's been going up so like well actually your... no it, that's not true actually right it, I, I know what you mean it seems like it just keeps going up it went down again <laughs> right it, it really did um and i didn't mean to cut you off but i i didn't want you to i don't want no, people no worries. to look and say, oh you know and then her life sort of blossomed and it took off <laughs> You know, the roll the credits at the end with the soft music. You know, that's that's not how my life is. Um, it, it really started going up when I went to college. Um, but even in that, it started going down because while I was at Ohio University, you know, we ran out of money. So I couldn't finish. Right. So now we're we're going down again because now I have this financial block that's keeping me from finishing my degree. And I had to learn how to navigate that system which is why, you know, I always tell people networking is very important. That's where I learned that. I learned that by being able to go to a dean of students and not be afraid to go and talk to the dean of students. By going and talking to the director of financial aid and not being afraid to go to that director, to talk to my boss and to create this, this never before seen job on campus where I wasn't supposed to have it, but they would let me have it so I could pay off debt um, and still stay in school, right? Um, and then to leave and say, no, I'm gonna come back home and I'll go to New York. Never heard of Baruch, believe it or not, right? I, I shouldn't even say that, right? But, <laughs> right? but I didn't even know what that was. I knew about Lehman and that's all I knew. And I knew NYU and I said, okay, Baruch is cheaper. So guess where I'm going, <laughs> right? Um, and then having to find a job and to live with my aunts, both aunts, right? Um, and try to make it on my own and find another place to live on my own. Um, and then it starts to go up for a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it goes up, it goes up. I go to graduate school. I'm loving graduate school. It's awesome. I get a job out of this. I start consulting. I have my first consultancy. And then I move back to New York and I met my daughter's father. <laughs> right? Which yeah. one would think was going up and up and up. Yeah. Well, up is that I have my daughter, right? The down is that that was not a healthy relationship. And out of that relationship, I think I lost a lot of me. Um, I began to lose a lot of confidence. I began to lose my voice. And so, I, I mean, craziness, craziness of, you know, now my daughter and I are alone, um, you know, when she's three months old and I need to go and find a place to live and I find a place to live and then I can't afford the place to live and then I'm homeless, but I'm never on the street, right? We're never in a shelter. We're sort of couch surfing, right? Um, and, and then- the daughter I, was only three months old. She, she was three months old when, wow. when we separated um, and- you just do what you do. I think in my mind, I think I have always just thought you just need to do, you got to figure out a way to make your life work. And I think that's just always been my mantra. You just, you have to figure it out. Now that I have a child, there is no, well, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. No, I need to make it work. 
Um, I need to shield her in a way that she feels protected. Um, I need to make sure that we eat. I need to make sure that we have a roof over our heads. And if I'm not going to be in the corner office like I always wanted to be, then so be it. It will come later. Um, and I think that's how I've always, when I, so when I say I don't want people to think it's just sort of been this, oh, this is great moment. It's yeah. been up and down and up and down. And that's what my therapist was talking about. He's like, people don't survive that up and down yeah. <laughs> very often. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for bringing that up uh, and thank you for mentioning that because I wasn't aware of this. And one thing that I kind of realized when now that you're telling your story and I think about like Oprah's story, we also went through like sexual assault and then mm -hmm. started her career like on TV and all that. And even or even like Steve Harvey, who was like homeless for like six years mm -hmm. before like his career started picking up. It's like a lot of challenges. And but. Everything, every time I hear those people talk, it's, uh, it's always like, you have to make this work. You have yeah. to make this work. And like, mm -hmm. this belief is like, you know, people are not really born that way. It's like, right. you need something to come down to, the, to that conclusion. So like, if you were to like, let's say, pick five principles that mm -hmm. day in and day out should go back to those principles. And like every single time, like when times are tough, because I know that, yeah, it wasn't just straight up, up, up. Mm -hmm. But like during those downs, it's like when times are tough, like what are those five, you know, principles mm -hmm. that you always go back to? Like it's like yeah. the basics. There is, there's one that I can think of and I actually heard it um, at our conference, <laughs> right on Friday. Um, and I probably am on video, like nodding vigorously <laughs> right to it. <laughs> and, and that is to spend some time alone. First, um, to get clarity in your head. And so for me, spending that time alone is I'm either spending it in prayer um, and or I'm sp spending it in writing my journal. Because when I am alone thinking and I can just get it out of my head, sometimes when I look back at what I've written or I think about what I've prayed about, it's okay, this will this will work or, oh, maybe this is a different way that I could handle this or, oh, I didn't want to reach out to this person, but maybe now I will. So I think one key principle is to really cherish spending that time alone thinking, right? So one of the scriptures um, that we have is, you know, peace be still, right? It's actually peace, comma, be still. So to get that peace, you need to be still very often we want to run, 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 right? And go try to handle. And sometimes we just need to, to stop for a second. So that's one. I think the second thing is then if you have, and, and hopefully everyone has some kind of a close-knit safety circle um, of people who are your advisors, your best friends, the people who know you well, and who can be honest with you, not the ones who yes you to death, but the ones who are honest with you, is to go then and say, you know, I've been thinking about this or I'm having a tough time right now. Um, I was really blessed to have a best friend now, a new best friend who just came by. She's like, okay, what food do you guys need? You know, just tell me, I'm going to run to the store. Boom, bring it. No questions asked, <laughs> right? You know, what's, what's, you know, what's your daughter's favorite food? Okay. And she would bring it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I had a firefighter friend, same thing, came with 20 bags of groceries, 
No questions, just uh, here. We are stocking the fridge. Um, so to have people like that who can, yes, get you through that, but can also be the honest voices for you to say, so what's your next step? What's your plan? And I'll help you through the plan, but I need you to have a plan, <laughs> right? Or let's brainstorm because you might not know what the plan is, right? So I think that's the second thing. I think the third thing, um, and I'm putting that in this one in the middle, probably because I feel it's the hub of everything else, is if you have a faith, dig into that faith. Um, whatever it is, right? Um, whatever the religion is, <laughs> right? If you're a philosophical person, there's certainly enough philosophically that can help people get through the tough time. But find something, for me, it is scripture. For me, it is calling my pastor, right? Um, and I'm also a minister, right? So, you know, it's, you know, people think we don't need the support, but we do, right? So it's, <laughs> It's, it's saying, okay, let me let me find what has helped me before, or let me just open this book up to a proverb and start reading and thinking. So definitely find your faith, right? And, and lean into it and embrace it. The right. fourth thing, let me think what the fourth thing would be. I think the fourth thing is to know that things will get better. And to always tell yourself that, right? It's very challenging to do that in the midst of the bad time, right? But if you stay stuck in thinking only about the woe and the misery and the sorrow, right, that you are in, then that's what's gonna come around you, right? Because that's the energy that you're sending out. If you begin to think about, wow, I see myself in a different apartment or I see myself in a different job or I know that this is annoying right now, but I really see myself doing something different. If you start doing that, then your mind starts to put that energy out there so that you really can bring those things to fruition. Um, it happened for, for me and my daughter. Uh, we were in a pretty decent apartment in Queens, right? Pretty nice. And I said, I want to live in Manhattan. So I took about six months with my daughter, probably eight months, actually. We lived someplace else um, with a friend so we could save money. And I said, okay, money is king in New York City, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I need to have enough money where I can walk to wherever I want to be and say, here, <laughs> right? And I kid you not, we're in a fabulous space right now that my daughter actually selected right? And we love this place. And I remember seeing it online. I saw the apartment online and I thought to myself, I'd never get it. And then I changed my thinking and I said, no, I'm going to make it happen. And if it's not that one, it'll be something like that. It ended up being the one that I saw Wow! <laughs> right? I online. So your, th your thoughts have power. I love you. They do. They do. Your thoughts really do have power. Um, so definitely make sure that you remember that. I think that's the fourth thing. And the fifth one, wow, what could I say about the fifth one? I think the fifth one, um, surround yourself with listening to podcasts like this one, <laughs> right, for, <laughs> for example, um, or, you know, reading things that have positive affirmation, um, you know, just surrounding yourself with that so that you, you get out of the day-to-day the -day 
And I want to add a sixth one if I could, yeah, because sure. I think it's really important that I, I can't believe I didn't think of this one. The sixth one is, is when you need help, don't be embarrassed or afraid to go and get it. It is crucial. Um, very often in many communities, not just communities of color, but in lots of communities, if you say, I'm going to go see a therapist, people make fun of you. They say you're crazy. No, that's for rich people. That's for whatever it is. Don't listen to that. If you need help, go and get it. I mean, I resisted for a very long time because I didn't understand it. Once you go, you realize, well, this is like having a best friend, right? <laughs> this is somebody who is dedicated to listening to me and to helping me grow. So number six and final one is absolutely when you feel that you need the help go and get the help i love it and i agree i agree i think there's a stigma sometimes in our communities about you know like being afraid to like raise your hand and say i need help or it's yes. always like you know talk to god about it instead of yes. like going, yeah like, yeah and, and you can talk to god at the same time like my therapist was a pastor yeah right it, so very often it was therapy, but then he could kind of guide me to a scripture or would remind me on the way out the door, right? Yeah. You know, about something that, you know, is, is in the word. And so we can find it. It's just being open to it, like you said, and not being afraid of that stigma that's in yeah. our communities. And I think often too, like, I think a lot of people, they live in their head and like, even those things may be going fine outside like because of their way of thinking like they overthink and like they don't sometimes acknowledge like the blessing that they have or things like that that you know they have people around them and things like that actually i wanted to read one quote from one of your speeches to you okay. Okay. that i found very very profound and i think a lot of people will relate to that and it's mm -hmm. about imposter syndrome where mm -hmm. you say most don't know about the skeletons that I kept trying to show back into the closet or the demons that kept circling around my head like vultures. Most don't know about the fight that I have endured to shoot those vultures down and keep on stepping. Mm -hmm. You know, like, how do you fight imposter syndrome? It's like mm -hmm. when you get to a point in your life and you just feel like, no, I, I don't deserve this. Like, I shouldn't yeah. be here. Like... Yeah, like I, I didn't earn it. It's like, what do you think you are to like be where you are? It's like, although like you, you did all this work and all that, but like sometimes those are thoughts that people may have, you know, it's like mm -hmm. you get a really good job in your career, like your life is going great, but then you have this thing, this idea that's kind of like keeping you back, like holding you back and not making you enjoy everything you worked for. Yes, yes. It's... um. I think in answering this question, it's me understanding when I'm having those thoughts, um, which is why you have to spend the time to be quiet sometimes, because you want to be able to recognize when you're having the thought of, oh, I don't deserve this, or, oh, somebody's going to find out that I'm not really who I say I am. For me, I think it's a little I don't know if it's so different. I think I would, I frame it differently. Maybe that's the best way to say it is I don't usually, or I have not usually talked about my sexual assault or, you know, the things that I've experienced or, you know, relationship issues because people see um, this, this thing, right. They, they see here and they experience maybe the energy that I bring into a room 
And so part of it for me is, is I don't want somebody to know that. Some of that is imposter, right? Because I want people to see what they see. The other part is my own feeling and still trying to navigate and accept that what happened to me is not a stigma, even though in my mind, those things are stigmas, right? And so I think when I keep those things quiet, it really is, yeah, that's that's my private journey. But what I have come to learn, particularly through ministry, right, as I've done this, and even talking with my students and talking on campus as much as I did, right, people do learn from that. And so what, what my therapist has said, right, I'm probably in the past year is, you know, if, if this is how God made you and this is how he has designed you and these are the experiences that you have, then accept them and now you can teach someone else, right? Hence my teach, lead, inspire. Um, so I think when, when we are, are troubled and we are struggling with being the imposter, it's recognized that we're doing it and then, you know, figure out that way to step around it, to step through it, to step over it, and then realize that sometimes your own experience can be something that can uplift someone else. I love it. Wow. And, you know, I want to also thank you for like sharing that experience because as you mentioned, you don't usually share it. Okay. And now one last question I would like to ask you is, So you're now starting your consulting company, which just turned one in on January 15th. So congrats on that. Thank you. Uh, I, I want to like understand, uh, you know, what is next in the life of Professor Dennis Patrick? And when you're 80 years old and looking back at your life, what is that one thing uh, or many things up to you that will make you say, yes, your life was well lived and you should be proud of yourself? Wow. Well, um, I'll start with the first half of that, right? Which is where where I'm growing. Um, so while I am uh, formally of one, I actually have a team behind me. Um, and I shouldn't say behind me. I should say they're beside me, quite frankly. Um, they really are. Um, of probably about five, six or seven people. Um, the events that I have had in the past, the two major ones, couldn't happen without them. So, you know, while on paper it says of one, there are actually about eight of us, <laughs> right? Um, that work and volunteer our time, right? Um, to make sure that we grow. My goal um, for my company is, is really to take on, and, and this is bold to put this out there on video, but I'm gonna do it anyway, right? Um, is to really become competitive with the McKinsey's and the Booz Hello. Allen Hamilton. Uh, I used to work for Booz Allen Hamilton. Um, I was hired twice by them to consult to them, right? So I, I wanna make sure that I can be out there and compete. Um, and the sky's the limit. Yes, the sky's the limit. And why not, right? Yeah. Um, why not? I mean, it's and, and I don't want to make this a, um, a race gender thing, but the only way that I can express it is in that way. Um, those companies are amazing. They do amazing, amazing work. Um, if life doesn't go so well, I might go, <laughs> right, and try to jump in there. But while I'm doing this, why not have someone who looks like me, right, be able to compete doing what they do, not the soft, touchy-feely, but the really the strategy, the, you know, everything that they do. So that's me. That's my goal, right, um, and my dream. 
Um, when I'm 80, um, Lord willing that I will be blessed to see 80 and beyond, um, I really know that I will have succeeded and I will have fulfilled my purpose when I know that I have done what God called me to do. Um, he, he ain't done with me yet, right? I, I still have some work to do. Um, and part of that is to teach and to lead and inspire others to turn around to teach and to lead and inspire others. So I know that when I, when I finally close my eyes, if I know that I have done his purpose and his will and have done those three things, I, I'm happy. Wow. Thank you. And, Thank that you. My, and that my daughter is like su successful and doing amazing things, <laughs> which she will be. She already is. She's already doing amazing things. That's amazing. Thank you, Professor Denise Patrick. You know, I, as I was mentioning to you earlier, I think you're like one of those people who are like bigger than life. And like, if your goal is to teach, lead, and inspire and have those people who you taught, led, and inspired do the same thing, then I think you already succeeded with me because as I mentioned, when I was a freshman, just sitting in college, you walk into the room, give a speech, and it's like, you just notice there are people who just come, they give a speech, it's okay and all that, but like some people just bring just enter the room and the energy you know you mm -hmm. can feel it and i'm always like i'm a big energy guy like i like to like you know read people and the environment and things like that and it's like you could feel it like it was just you telling us like how we could make the best of college and like how this is really your life and like everything is up to you and so thank you for that thank you for being on the podcast thank this you was, this was really my pleasure and I, I want to know if anyone in the audience wants to get in touch with you what is the best way to contact you uh email and linkedin those two are the best um so my linkedin if you just look for denise patrick with the big puffy hair um <laughs> right um and i think i think it's actually i think it's the denise patrick I, I can't remember but i think it is but if you can find me on linkedin right that's one way and send me a message there but always um the rule on linkedin is please let me know why you're reaching out <laughs> right so i can respond and then the other way is my email um which is denise at dpatrickconsulting.com all right okay and i'm gonna make sure to add those to the to the notes of the podcast thank you for listening if you enjoy the show please feel free to leave a review on itunes or any other medium you use you can find more about the show at the power of good intentions.podbean.com or on instagram on my page billionaires mind club Thank you very much.